people never really knew why like what is he running away from we'd both lived this very you know lucky existence but why is there one that's traveling the world and looking at happiness and why is there one that's in a gutter homeless and drinking himself to death and probably maybe that's one good thing that it did was you know let people know that it's not because of them it's because he has this demon inside of him and I'd certainly forgiven him in the sense that well many many different ways one of the things that's always helped me is like and I and I've talked to a lot of victims of abuse you know through this process and I'm not going to suffer for something horrible that you did to me that's your darkness for me like the happiest state that you can be in is just basically to be at peace with yourself you know you got to accentuate the positive wow i feel good a little bit of feel good goes a long way you're listening to karen swain teacher of deliberate creation accentuating the positive showing you a way to a better life accentuating the positive it's not just bad it's sanity who in their right mind would accentuate anything else if you feel like that's what you want to do G'day and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. Always a blessing to present another show for you all today. And look who I've got with me, the wonderful Mike Warsman. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thank you so much. Probably people watching this or listening to this have no idea who Mike is. But Mike actually came on the show in 2015 Totally, I found, I don't know where I found you, but I was totally in awe of what you were doing back then. Spreading happiness, spreading happiness. As you might know, this show is called Accentuate the Positive. So he was very aligned with my mission in this world. And uh, I think I back then I was still on radio and I was trying to find happy stories to put on radio. And yours was definitely a story I wanted to showcase with your website back then, which was called A Million Smiles, right? Yep. No, that's what it was back then. And it's really, it's it, the mission hasn't changed. It's just the the name and the branding is now the happiest. So the happiest.com is now where I guess uh, I try and push people. But uh, yeah, I mean, things, things haven't really changed much. I'm still traveling around looking at what does and doesn't make people happy. And, right. you know, as we're about to talk about, I've, I've written a book that sort of brings it all, all the different stories together. Exactly. I'm going to tell people, I just uh, have you seen that documentary called Happy by, um, yeah, that, that one. Uh, Rocco, I, Bellic, yeah, Rocco we actually, and yeah. We actually hosted the guys when they were, uh, when they were oh. in Australia and we yeah had a oh. good chat with them, a bit of an interview and um, yeah, they're beautiful, amazing human beings. So I uh, know I met because we hosted the one well, yeah, in Sydney, but you hosted them in Melbourne or Adelaide? Adelaide. Adelaide, Adelaide yeah. 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 Let me tell people who are listening bit about Mike. What have I written here? Humanity desperately needs a new story to believe in. And this is it I've written. I must have taken that off your website. As a boy, Mike Warsman felt he was here on earth to do something big. So he set forth on adventures around the world, photographing some of the happiest people living 
many of them living in what Western society would deem as the worst conditions. Mike is a writer, filmmaker and global adventurer who has spent the past decade capturing and sharing stories that could move people to chase a happier, more connected life that would better our world. From city streets to remote tribal areas to war zones and refugee camps, to the Ganges, to Wall Street of Beijing. The people and the socio-political issues he explores have the power to change our world, and they already are. Mike's work has reached more than 20 million people from every country on earth through his organisation, The Happiest. His new book, which we're going to talk about today, The Happiest, follows Mike's unthinkable journey as he sells his house quits his cushy media career and travels across six continents, visiting more than 60 countries in order to interview, observe and share stories about the happiest and unhappiest people, places and ideas on earth. It will wake you up and let you fall in love with humanity again as you come face to face with questions that we as a human family must confront. Coupled with the latest science and told through the eyes of a man who has witnessed from his own trauma what it is like to shine the light. I'm going to cry. This is making me cry. In dark places. (laughs) The happiest holds a weight that will break you before giving you the tools to rebuild and discover your happier self again. Oh, God, that was such (laughs) Bit of a mouthful. Mouthful. You got it out well. Oh my god, that just did it for me. And of course, we've discussed the website is thehappiest.com. Mm. Right. Yeah. So you sent me the book and I started reading it. Oh god, it's been a crazy, it's been a crazy September. So I didn't finish mm. it. But I was it's thinking very long book, so that's okay. it takes you on this roller coaster ride when you mm. start reading it. It's like, oh mm. my god. And then I was thinking. Is the rest of the book going to keep up this sort of momentum? Like, I think, what are we talking about? Like, you nearly died in a plane crash? Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's get into your story. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. I mean, I guess you're always looking at what moment in your life. Everyone always asks me, so when, how did you decide to go on this journey or when? And I spent quite a long time thinking about what, what was that pivotal sort of stepping stone that, that, woke me up to hey this is a world worth exploring and an idea worth exploring and it probably I think it's death is often one of those things that wakes you up um, a, there's a lot of stories like that in in the book or where real challenges in life wake you up um, and yeah the, the book opens with me on on a plane across the Pacific going on about as long a journey as you can so from Australia to South America and uh, my friend tapping me on the shoulder and I was asleep and he's like, Shh, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to like startle everyone, but there's smoke coming out the engine. And I was like, oh, bullshit, mate, you know, come on. Like, this is like, you know, we're, we're, I think nine or oh, 21 or something at this point, you know, when you're just larrikins and, you know, making practical jokes is funny. And yeah, lo and behold, uh, I, I end up opening my eyes and looking out the side and I was like, no, it's just nighttime, isn't it? And then there's specks of light come through the black that's outside and you suddenly realise it's not nighttime, that that's smoke making it look black outside. And, yeah, it, it, look, it it almost, there was a, that, that, that brought me to a state of just going like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so 
why was I saved? Why didn't our plane crash to the ground? And then I, I almost died a couple more times on that same trip in South America. So I think it was a gentle wave, you know, maybe of the universe going, hey, you know, have a think about your life and and the gift that life is. And that's really what the first chapter is all about is just if you're going to find your happiest state or if you're going to be a happy person, you've got to wake up each day thinking this is a bit of a gift. Not that everything in life has to be all rosy and that's not what life's about and it's certainly not what the book's about like you know you reading that extended introduction I think people would understand that very few of the stories in this book are nice and happy and easy to to read it's a heavy book it's a book that talks about you know my time in Afghanistan going into a war-torn country well I felt I needed to do that to understand what are the implications of war on our happiness part of that trip, I, I meet a member of the Taliban and people go, oh, he couldn't possibly be a nice or happy person. Well, not in the way that we think of the Taliban normally, but certainly this member was phenomenal. He tells a story of risking his life and the life of his family in order to save an American soldier because he didn't actually want to be part of the Taliban. So there's stories in there that like like that first line, it hopefully, you know, gets people believing in humanity again. And it's certainly been my experience. I could have been killed many times on, on this journey. I've been in really remote tribal sort of areas. I've been in war and, you know, everywhere in between. And I think that's where these little happy moments and, and certainly the lessons around happiness can be found is not buying some nice new car or, or this this beautiful house that I get to live in yes that's that's nice and it's a comfort because as we're talking about just off air you know I've got a two a two-year-old who's who needs to have some sort of ability to live safely um, but certainly the luxuries that that we're afforded aren't necessary for happiness um, in this country you know I guess most people live in relative luxury yeah certainly I've, I've been to a lot of places where there's a lot of happiness and not many things. So like the photo behind you right now, you know, is in Zambia and that's just catching up with some kids on their way to school. And what do those interactions teach you about happiness? Well, probably that their gratitude, their level of gratitude that they could go to school. Yeah. Um, you know, how many kids and parents complain about, oh, you know, bloody school or or this or that. And it's like, over there, it's a privilege just to be able to go to school. You look at that kid's book. You reckon that's a brand new book behind uh, your left shoulder as we're looking at you there? No. Yeah. That's that's about appreciation and gratitude. And that's that's what one of the chapters is about. So each chapter sort of, I shouldn't probably tell people this because it's, it's not sort of written in that way in the book, but each chapter does have a theme to it. And I guess it's it's about exploring those different themes that that seem to be common within humanity that do bring out our happiest self. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's sort of, you well, know. Yeah. A couple of things that you've said. I wrote a book sharing 12 stories called Awakened by Death. <laughs> mm. Mine being one of them. I think I was sharing with you that 
uh, awakened is in that I I woke up to um, who I am outside my circumstances, outside my body, outside my personality, and even outside my mind, who I am as a extension of source, a multidimensional being that traverses the universe and has many lives. Like there's many ways that we awaken. But one of the stories in the book is a guy called Dave and his daughter was killed in the Bali bombings. Mm. And I put his story in the book, which was one of the most tragic stories. Somebody contacted me and said she was reading the book on the plane and she was bawling as she was reading Dave's story, <laughs> snot <laughs> flying from her nostril. And the guy next to her in the seat said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. Because <laughs> she's bawling because it's such a tragic story, but she's loving it at the same time. Because that was his story. He went through years of grief. Mm. but he couldn't live like that. And he made a decision. I've got to shift the way I think. Instead of thinking about the tragedy of my daughter's death, let me remember the good times. Let me remember us catching a wave at Bondi Beach. Let me remember that. And so he made this decision, this effort, every moment in his thoughts to shift his thinking to a better feeling thought. And I just loved, Mm. he still grieves his daughter and talks about her endlessly like years later. How many years has it been since the Bali bombings? Over 20 years. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's the happiest guy. He's just such a pleasure. He's such he's so beautiful. And it's a beautiful thing about the brain, right? We can teach it to to form new pathways and to right. strengthen pathways. And so, you know, that's resilience. That is what resilience is. So, you know, and that's a huge part of of happiness that I think is probably as life gets easier in a lot of places our resilience is sort of declining and, you know, maybe it's too easy at times, I think. Um, yeah. You know, everyone complains about these little problems, um, but, you know, you go and you see, you know, what perspective you can get on your own life through travel. And I think that's the, that's the gift of travel um, in my experience is yeah. the final chapter of the whole book is about perspective because really it, the whole ball game of happiness goes on, in between the two ears and you know and we'll include the heart in that as well but uh certainly the construct of our mind and how we choose to what we choose to give light to and what we choose to sort of ignore or or uh, or whatever it might be is is a pretty powerful sort of tool in in either creating a happier life or or not so yeah well just tell people like we went into the story of the plane crash it's in the first chapter, but I survived. I survived. Well, let, I'm, let's, I'm not giving let's, away let's, a huge ending there. Because when I'm reading, it's riveting. Like you're like, yeah. but just go into that story. Like, how did you survive? Because yeah, the 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 engine caught on yeah. fire, and everyone is freaking yeah. out. Freaking and- out. Yeah, so obviously you know the ending because I'm here or I'm writing the the book, um, which sort of always uh, made. But I, I think it's written in a way that you do buy into the fact that like really we're believing we could die. So my mate wakes me up. I see this smoke. People are freaking out and probably the worst part of it. So everyone's praying and, and these sorts of things. Um, we're flying to Argentina. So I guess a lot of a lot of uh, maybe Christian people on the plane really praying and Jesus and, you know, hearing these sorts of things. And, it, and obviously it, it creates, you know, a real unsettled feeling. And then the thing that you assume that you're going to get from there is really calm staff you would think in an emergency okay cabin crew is going to be and and they were losing their shit and um and and that was probably the comical part that my my mate and i um was sort of looking at and going wow this must and 
you I, I i penned my last words like i i was writing as if you know we're going to go down and the other horrible decision that they made so you've got that screen that shows where the plane is and so we're off the coast about an hour or so off the coast of new zealand um and we're taken off from auckland and because the plane was so heavy with fuel to last that 13 or 14 hour trip to to buenos aires uh, they had to spend a lot of time dumping fuel because uh, the load on trying to bring in this thing at 300 k's an hour, if it's weighing an extra um, however many tons, it, the plane might not have been able to slow up. Um, so you've got, I assume at that point, hopefully the other wing that's not on fire dumping fuel or wherever it gets dumped from away from the fire, <laughs> you're hoping. Um, and the the terrifying part is you've got this photo, I should do it this way for people, of a plane that's very slowly going in circles over the ocean, dumping fuel, and that they left that on the screen. And then they're leaving it on the screen as we're sort of... we. Auckland's here and we don't we're not able to fly across the country because we're a flight risk so we had to go around the coast and take the long route um and so it was, it was terrifying and they made it as terrifying as possible which was you know a particular way to wake us all up I guess and then the the, the moment that really grabbed me there was a girl sitting next to us she's maybe about 12 or 13 or something like that and she didn't speak much English and we didn't speak much uh, Spanish or, or Portuguese. And so we're trying to engage with her and ask, oh, you're okay, like trying to settle her. And I think when you take yourself and your own ego out of it and you start, that sort of broke that maybe woe is me situation. And particularly then as, as the plane lands and there's lights everywhere, the fire police, everyone's sort of out. And it made the news that night in New Zealand and, you know, this this plane coming in, you know, it's a great image. I was a journalist for a long time, so it's, it's a great image. And we stop. We finally stop and everyone cheers and everyone's been praying. But, you know, as we're coming in, I mean, really, the plane's not in a good way. You could, I think I describe it in the book as like, it's like one of those buffalo that's got like five lions on them. It's still like it's it's waning and waning and it's about to die. And it's like, oh, let me just rest. And then it finally we stop and, and it went all over the runway. It felt like and, you know, who knows, maybe it's your imagination, but I don't think so. It was it was pretty terrifying. And the plane stops and everyone's clapping and cheering. And this beautiful energy was released that was like we've all shared this experience and then it's like everyone opened their eyes and was just like that rabid dog i'm getting my luggage and i'm going and like everyone lost their humanity within about five seconds and it was <laughs> it was a real wake up for me it was like oh wow and I, and I almost got drawn into that of like the mad rush to get off this plane because could it still explode? I don't, I, we just didn't know, right? When you see all these police, fire, ambulance, everyone's outside, everyone's, the, the cabin staff are still going berserk. So I almost got drawn into that and I I was like, oh, okay, maybe we should be rushing to get off. And then I was like, no, 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 wait, let's not, let's not do this thing that everyone's doing here, which is just 
going against the very experience that we've all just had, which everyone was hugging and kissing and all this sort of stuff afterwards, looking at their children, I'm sure in a way that they've never looked at them before and looking at their husbands or wives or whatever it was. And, you know, that was beautiful. And then like, literally, like I say, flick a switch and it's madness and everyone's in it for themselves and forgetting everything that that moment maybe uh, just, you know, could have could have taught them so it was it was an experience it just reminds me of humanity at large you know there's some there's something that happens and then you wake up and like oh smell the roses i'm here i'm here to make a difference in the world and then like like covid COVID was a great one it's like right oh wow we've got this thing and okay everyone's at home and and what a beautiful thing my wife and i reflected on for those first few months where the whole world was almost locked down I think we did recapture some of what we're meant to sort of live like as human beings, people at home, more time with kids. Everyone probably hated it, but I think that is how we're meant to live. Certainly if happiness is the goal, but, and then, you know, you suddenly see the other side, which is like, you know, people fighting in supermarkets for the last roll of toilet paper. And it's like, (laughs) uh, like two steps forward, one step backwards, right. Or whatever they say. So, but yeah, look, it, it, it's definitely a, an entertaining way, hopefully, to start the book and to and it does reflect on on sort of a moment that did certainly impact me. There's many moments, but a book requires you to choose probably one. Everyone goes, How, when did your life change? And I was like, well, it's not like just one moment. But anyway, for the sake of the book, there needed to be, you know, that grand, grand sort of moment. And certainly that was one of them. Yeah, I think when I spoke to you in 2015, you were on a mission for people to share their own stories. So you were asking people on A Million Smiles to like upload a photograph and share a, a, a time of happiness. So what shifted? The website's still there and I still do get people submitting. But oh, they do? Okay. I, I think, just, yeah, yeah. So it's still there and people do still submit. But I, I think it's just probably the word smile i think people misunderstood as like oh it's this nice light little fluffy thing and 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 that's not what people were uploading it's certainly not what i was exploring in my travels i think a smile is just an indication of a moment and and what's behind that moment is really where the book sort of focuses the editor of the book his favorite story i should probably tell so I mean, I shouldn't be smiling when I'm telling this, to be honest, but I was in Sri Lanka and I was really interested to explore what the tsunami had done. And and I was taken into this uh, village that was set up by the Red Cross uh, post the tsunami. And, you know, someone said, oh, you must interview the people that live in this house is sort of what I came to understand. My wife's from Sri Lanka, so I could sort of understand a tiny bit of the language, but she wasn't with me on uh, this part of the trip. And I, you know, you're very nervous doing some of these interviews. You, you know, you don't want to sort of overstep, but at the same time, yeah, sometimes that's where you find the most fascinating stories. And so this, this lady and and her husband sort of came out and there's this little child and, and I was like, oh, she's so cute. And, you know, I was mostly interacting with the child because often that's sort of the easy in um, children are always curious and, and have that innocence that's beautiful that um, allows an, a stranger to to sort of get engaging with that situation. So this, this woman's talking about through some horrendous 
oh just timing so there was there was one wave and then there was the second wave and actually the second wave killed a lot of people this family had four children they all survived the first wave but then two of them go to find the other child who is at school and then there's a baby with the parents and then the second wave comes as they're down and not running from stuff and they eventually yeah all four children get taken and die and for this for this husband and wife the grief was just too much as you can expect like just and in that country and in in those sorts of communities your children aren't just your children they're also your like safety net when you're getting older there is no pension and these sorts of things so your children will be the ones that look after you and these guys were maybe around about 50 i think oh, oh no it must have been a bit younger so maybe 40 45 and you know the 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 husband was a bit older than the wife but they sort of grieve for many things like they grieve that now they have no safety as they get older and no one to look after them and but they you know they think oh maybe we should try and have more kids I mean, for me, I thought that they were going to be too old. Like you look at them and you go, oh, okay. But I was like, who's this girl then? Like my mind sort of thinking, who's this girl? And and by the end of the interview, um, which is through a translator, I end up finding out that actually a couple of years of trying and, and they they end up with this daughter and, you know, the love that they have for her was just amazing. But And I said, well, what what got you through that grieving period and and they said well grief grief shrinks your life it sort of envelops you in in like you know you don't go out you don't want to see anyone you don't you just huddled over here in in uh, a sad little, yeah sad ball or pain yeah and I said what was the moment then and she said well we just hadn't contemplated how big this was and that I mean, I'm maybe putting it more eloquently than maybe what she had, but she was in a lot of distress, you know, by this point. And she said, like, I went out and I spoke to one of the other women in the village and she'd lost eight children. And so not that eight's necessarily worse than four, it's still all your children. Mm. But I guess it's just that fact that, we are all connected and and Mm -hmm. our stories are often have the opportunity to bring us closer together grief is certainly one of those things or it can distance us and I guess eventually she found a way to to sort of realize that she wasn't alone in in her pain and and that maybe when we share our pain it, it lessens it I think in my experience certainly it, that's in that's in a chapter that's about gratitude. So oh, okay. So um, she gave birth to the little girl. She had another yeah, child. She yeah, didn't yeah. adopt her or, or anything. Got a photograph. Because yeah, yeah, you you're such a great photographer. The book's full of beautiful photographs of yeah. of these experiences, uh, these travels. Yeah, that's beautiful. So realizing that they weren't alone in their grief, like there was. Well, this, God, there were just thousands, is, millions of people. This is the, the mother and her child. Sweet. So, and, and there's book, there's sort of, you know, photos throughout the book because I think a lot of the stories you almost wouldn't believe. 
Like you almost couldn't contemplate the complexity and the sheer gravity of what some people were saying if there weren't photos. And and it just has that ability to like connect people with, oh, wow, that's a real person. You know, sometimes we think, oh, these things happen over here and we maybe we don't really feel that that the humanity in that person so the photos are pretty critical mike it's such a wake-up call because you know in in the community that i'm involved in the conscious community i call it you know we're talking about star seeds and psychic ability and empathy there's a lot of empaths and i hear it over and over again I, i had a good friend i was in a meeting with the other day she's was in sydney and she's such an amazing light worker and what i hear is i can't wait to get off this planet like I'm out of here. Like it's so hard on this planet. There's so much suffering and there's so much, and I just can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. And I and I think to myself, really, it's really shocked me when she said that because she does amazing work, amazing work. But this is such a common, this is such it, it a is. common story I hear in our community. It doesn't necessarily have to be in our community. It can be in every community that they're just not loving life. And yeah. and when you read some people's stories of what they go through. And then they're loving life, regardless of what they, maybe even because of what they go through. It's like the contrast that affords us this unbelievable evolutionary process to remember who we are, that we are all connected and that we are one and that we are love, regardless of what happens to us. It's just, I love these stories. It's and, like and why I do this. Amazing, what an amazing creature we are to be able to explore and understand, you know, this world and this universe. Like, yeah, I, I think that there's, there is a real darkness within humanity and yeah. certainly the book talks about a lot of that yeah. but without that we don't have the contrast to see the light and right. you know I mean, there's a there's a chapter that's about religion which is always a fun dicey thing to talk about so what is the happiest religion what do they teach us about happiness and you know i think one of the things that maybe that comment and that story that you're talking about with with some of your community for me at least the challenge that i believe jesus and others were talking about buddha finding enlightenment these sorts of things i believe that the challenge is to have heaven on earth so we're not i think when we die we're not going up to in my opinion at least some cloud where you know we're let in or we're not i think it's like the challenge that i believe jesus was talking about is is to bring it down, to bring heaven yeah. down to earth and to create heaven on earth. And I think that that's, that is possible. Like in the bits and pieces that I've been able to gather from all over the world, you know, that is our challenge. That is our challenge. And it requires us to come together and to share our common elements and to understand that our diversity and our difference is beautiful. I mean, yeah. how, how boring if we're all the same, <laughs> like how boring, like, oh yeah, there's another person that looks and sounds like me, like, come on. I mean, and yet that's what causes so much conflict is, oh, these people believe in a different thing. Well, yeah, because that's, that's their experience and and that that's okay. You know, I mean, the problem comes with ego, right? But where, oh, no, but my way is better than your way, you know, and religion certainly is something that creates in a lot of circumstances it shouldn't, but it does create ego. Yeah, I mean, that 
exactly. That's a beautiful photo. That was around COVID, right? Yeah. Do you want to explain this photo? So I've just popped a photo behind me of apartment building for people listening on audio, and there's a whole lot of people leaning out. It's like taken from the ground up, yeah. waving. What's going on here? So I think that that was a, a photo around from COVID, people clapping for the healthcare workers. So and and that just shows our our common thanks and you know appreciation and. It doesn't matter about your beliefs around COVID. Like, I think it's just, it was an opportunity where we were able to suddenly stop and think about these people that were putting themselves in perhaps greater harm and, you know, that, yeah, they should, uh, we should well, all be grateful. That, and, and just exactly. do it every day, even regardless of COVID. I mean, I've right. we've got a lot of friends that, you know, they're putting themselves in one harm's way because of all the drugs and stuff that are out there and, you know, people coming through emergency departments aren't always probably in their right mind. But also, you know, you've got staff and all these other diseases that exist within hospitals that, yeah, you know, doctors and nurses are, are certainly, you know, people that we should be thankful for um, as well as everyone else. But um, yeah, you know. exactly. Whether you believe that there was danger or not, the people that were doing it absolutely believed they were in danger and yet they still got up and went to work every day and did it. Yeah. Look, so I've written this down. Machu Picchu. Is that something that happened in the book? I've got a question it mark is, next it to is, it. Yeah. You yeah, want to talk were, to us about that? Yeah, we were we were meant to be going to Machu Picchu. It's, it's still in, in that near-death experiences chapter at the start and my friend that was our whole thing our whole purpose like in many ways of going to South America that was the you know the big crescendo was we're going to go and climb up Machu Picchu and we paid for this trip and yeah we're, we're just about to leave and and our guide said oh we can't go up Machu Picchu but he was really upset and we were like oh, this doesn't seem like it's just like we can't go. Like he wasn't the sort of guy that would be crying. For, and and we said, oh, what's wrong? Like, and he said, oh, there's actually been this huge landslide and some of his friends had died. And one of his trekking, like one of his tour guide friends had actually stood in front of something and pushed someone else to safety oh. and, and died. So, you know, again, it was a reminder, what if we were on the mountain in that same, like we were literally moments away from doing that exact same uh, climb. And at the time, you know, it was the worst rains that they'd had in 30 odd years. And so there was just so much water, there was flooding everywhere. And yeah, again, we'd probably narrowly escaped death. It could have been us. There were tourists that died. Wow. I also got held at knife point and um, I also almost died of whether it was altitude sickness or food poisoning or something that was horrendously bad. We were out on uh, Lake Titicaca on this tiny little island called Amantini and, yeah, I woke up in the night in absolute sweats and I didn't want to – we had a host family and uh, I didn't want to wake them and so I'm crawling like I couldn't stand up because I was so weak and I'm crawling out to this outdoor toilet and vomiting and shitting myself. And yeah, I was not well. And by the morning I was really not well. And the local family that we were staying with, you know, had all of their local remedies and they're rubbing lime on me. And again, it was that time to contemplate what if, 
I just shut my eyes and I don't open them again. And it was it was certainly a, an interesting trip at that point in my life where I was really, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Am, am I going to just live in a way that maybe um, is is within what I think is safe and nice or do I go and dream this bigger dream that I'd felt pulling me for a while? So, mm-hmm. yeah, it certainly was was eye-opening. And I think at the same time, it was the first time I'd really seen really abject, terrible inequality and poverty. Right. Areas of South America. So that side of me was also really awakened during that trip. So all this was happening, like the plane crash and Machu Picchu, all this was happening before you met your now wife, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. When I spoke to you in 2015, you're a young single guy, and then since then you've been married, you've got a baby. How has that changed your perspective on doing these sorts of things? My wife's pretty adventurous too, so she's (laughs) she's been on a lot of the trips with me. And And it's not like we go on a trip just to do the book or just to do this. I mean, she works in international development. So she travels pretty regularly to look at different programs around the world and that sort of thing. So our honeymoon was four months up the East coast of Africa, uh-huh. uh, where that photo was actually um, from the previous one. So she's fully into that adventure as well. Probably having a, a, a small baby maybe has ever so slightly changed maybe some of the the want or the will for absolute crazy adventure like you know Sasha and I my wife we went and stayed uh, in a cow dung hut in a Maasai village at the bottom of Mount Kilimanjaro and you've only got like some prickly bushes in a circle around the village that are between you and lions and there's a few warriors that stand guard at night so you know would we do that with our baby? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. We haven't had to make that decision yet, but certainly she, uh, yeah, she's added to all of it. My wife's one of the happiest people I know um, most certainly, and she's so full of love. I mean, it's it's what you see when someone's been loved fully as a child and, and it's because she was an only child. So two parents onto one, one kid, it's a, it's a good ratio. Uh, makes, makes a, for having that time that a kid needs, maybe it makes it a bit easier. But yeah, certainly having a child is it's this beautiful opportunity, at least for me, where you're able to see, and I, I was always pretty good at seeing the beauty of the world. Like that's one thing I I I love is just like if you just zoom your life out and you're like, wow, there's this thing we call a sun that's like got all these reactions going on, that then there's planets spinning around that. And we're on one of those little planets and we're in this huge universe and like just that everything works. And then there's a day and that gives us sun and then night and like just it's it's phenomenal how lucky this little situation is of life. And when you have a child, certainly in my experience, it just because you're teaching her everything again. Right. So yeah you're going that's the sun or that's grass and like that's a tree and like how it works and you're like the awe of everything just becomes that much greater because you see in her eyes it's like like wow and like you know like how can you not be pretty taken back by 
just the glory that is everything around us and like these little interactions. That's one of the beautiful things that having a, a, a baby certainly does is it breaks down barriers because she'll run up to anyone and wave yeah. and and then suddenly you go, oh, okay. Because that's, I mean, that's a big part of why I started this was loneliness had just become the number one cause of depression in the Western world. Mm-hmm. And why, how are we lonely when there's seven odd, you know, now 8 billion people and it's because we're not acknowledging one another when we're on the street. And when you have a baby, everyone looks at her and therefore engages with us. And, and, and it's this nice thing where you just break down maybe one of those barriers that, that prevents a lot of happiness in the world. So she's been great. She, I, I you know, certainly I, I don't sleep quite as much. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally, other than that, it's it's this glorious relearning of all the beautiful things in the world that you want to teach your child and seeing the world again through a child's eyes, which is, you know, uh, maybe more in maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, darling, that is heaven on earth because as you know, I've, we speak a lot about death before we press the recording, we were talking about death and I said, probably something we won't discuss in this, this conversation, but yeah, we might, let's talk about it. But when people die, you know, a lot of the people in our book have died and when they return to return to love, to return to that realm, that heavenly realm, you are in that heaven experience. You're in this complete appreciation, complete unconditional love, complete bliss, like you're just swimming in bliss. And, yeah, bringing heaven to earth is that inside job. It's like the happiness is the in-sharp job and kids naturally have it right most of the time except when they're screaming but most of the time they're in awe and wonder and appreciation I had this chat with my with my brother once about this like how beautiful and happy little babies are and he said yeah but they're completely selfish and I'm like "Hmm, interesting it's you know like they're screaming if they're hungry they're screaming if they're not okay like it's all about me 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 but are they well, they're conditioned to survive, so they need. Right. But but that's also why they're so lovable. Yeah, you wouldn't hurt a baby, would you? You could leave. You could leave our child on the street, and people would flock to her and help her if there right. weren't. And you know, I guess that probably happened in villages and you know caves back in the days. You know, parent mothers would die in childbirth a lot, obviously, and and fathers may abandon. But then there's this beautiful, innocent little child, and and hopefully you know their survival mechanisms which is to cry and look cute and stuff would keep them alive and you know I think that's all kids are are sort of doing and then yeah obviously they're they're pretty me-centric for a while but we can certainly uh teach them to share I mean she's our, our little girl's almost too sharing so she'll go up to any kid and give them whatever she's got and kids are always like Wait, what? what? What's this kid doing? And, and and that's sort of something that has been a bit upsetting at times. You, you'd sort of see that kids are other kids, not our kid, but other kids are sometimes <laughs> conditioned not to engage or something. And, and yeah. I think it's a sad reflection on maybe like, I don't know if it's stranger danger or that sort of thing, but um, certainly most people are good. Like my family knows a thing or two about like, yes, there are, you know, terrible people in the world. And and certainly, you know, I think we we're talking before about, you know, the reason that my brother's in jail and um well you know, 
that's yeah. the next that's the next question because you've got that chapter about your brother on forgiveness. Do you want to go into that and share that with people? But I mean, we won't share every chapter, but that chapter. You know, life hasn't always probably been that easy. So yeah, look, there's there's a chapter about forgiveness, and I felt I needed to write it, and it was it was always going to be a really difficult thing because it was going to mean that for my family, I needed to tell them that horrible, horrible truth that I guess I was protecting them from for 20 odd years, which is that I was raped and abused by my brother. And, you know, that's, that's something that I, I guess I made a conscious decision to try and hide, not, not for myself, I dealt with it and I'd forgiven my brother, but to, to give the rest of the family that maybe that you know, ignorance is bliss sort of thing for 20 years. And then he'd been an alcoholic for, for a long time and, and had drug and alcohol problems. And people never really knew why. Like, what is he running away from? We'd both lived this very, you know, lucky existence. Um, but why is there one that's traveling the world and looking at happiness? And why is there one that's, you know, in a gutter, um, homeless and drinking himself to death. And probably maybe that's one good thing that it did was, you know, let people know that it's not because of them. It's because he has this demon inside of him. And yeah, the process of of writing that chapter and having to to sort of talk to, you know, like your grandma, like telling your grandma what's happened. It's, it, 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 it was a learning in itself, but then certainly my forgiveness was tested when we found out that my ability to forgive him and to not come forward to police and not to come forward to the family. And he eventually, we sort of came out and said, well, is there anyone else? And he didn't come forward to begin with, but then we, we find out that there was someone else since. And that's hard because I can't really forgive that. It's not my place to forgive the damage that he's now caused this other person. And so that's why he's in jail is, and he's about to be probably in jail for quite a bit longer because my, my case against him is, is just going through court at the moment. So, yeah, it's, I'd certainly forgiven him in the sense that, well, many, many different ways. One of the things that's always helped me is like, and I've, and I've talked to a lot of victims of abuse, you know, through this process. And I'm not going to suffer for something horrible that you did to me. That's your darkness. That's, yes, it, you know, fills you with this. Anytime your, your safety and your sense of self-worth and things are just absolutely dragged away from you through something like rape, you know, it's pretty there's going to be some trauma there's going to it's going to play out in some way and and probably for me like the chapter after the forgiveness chapters about love and it probably has plagued a tiny bit my relationship but just because it draws out this insecurity where you're treated as a piece of meat for a period and you're you're less than human so sometimes but it, look, I'm I'm very at, at peace with it. Obviously, I feel very fortunate that I'm able to actually calmly talk about it, and the fact that I don't have this huge resentment towards my brother for what he's done to me. Certainly, the fact that he's then gone on to harm others, 
that's hard to forgive because you're taking my goodwill of trying to protect the family and his children and to then find that out is is was really difficult so you know that that does it is talked about in the chapter of like how do you then forgive that and maybe it's still a process because I can't it's the person who's been harmed that needs to do the forgiveness so I've forgiven him for his abuse of me I can't forgive him for his abuse of this other person because also this other person is still suffering a lot Mm. yeah I mean but you know you, you like the two other stories in that same chapter I mean I met this lady in Salt Lake City in Utah mm-hmm. oh I mean she was homeless and you could she had a, a scent where maybe she hadn't been able to get to the toilet properly and these sorts of things and her face was just I mean I've, I've got a photo of it here I can probably her face was an absolute mess so this is a lady here and she's she's a beautiful human being like beautiful human being and she's you know got teeth all knocked out and stuff and I knew she had a story and so I said oh can I buy you lunch and just you know talk to you a bit I just said I'm traveling around the world looking at what does and doesn't make people happy and she said oh I've got a story for you and she'd suffered some pretty horrendous domestic violence and but she'd forgiven the people that had done it to her and she'd been abused by I think it was her mother and yeah so and then there's another guy who you know his mum was a working really high-flying lady with the United Nations and she got killed by another really high-ranking member of the United Nations really um, yeah who was running who then ran um, for a presidential campaign in a in a country that I probably can't mention. Yeah, so, like, you know, this guy's telling me that his mum literally was murdered in an act of domestic violence and how he he really struggled with forgiveness for a long time, as you can imagine. Like, I, th- I think it's different when it's perpetrated on you, but when it's, like, his mother's killed by this man who's who who again gets glory you know in the media and all this sort of stuff is this amazing human and yet he's killed and he got away with him and he got away have you seen the movie human uh yeah 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 there's a story in that of a black man who's in jail Mm. i remember videoing on my phone and uploading it's terrible audio quality but anyway it was just just i was so moved by his story and he grew up in horrendous circumstances and he murdered a woman and her baby. And then he went to jail for murder and the mother of the woman. And he said he didn't know what love was until he met the mother of the woman and baby or and the grandmother, obviously, of the baby who came to jail and used to talk to him and counsel him. And she forgave him. And uh, God, it's going to make me cry. <laughs> and then he said, and that's when I knew what love was. God. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, I just I went cracks me up that part of that movie. But anyway, so she could forgive him for the murder of you know her daughter and her granddaughter. You know, I I became my brother's carer for a period. Right. When he was homeless, I said, look, you know, why don't I mean my mum and dad, they'd tried for years and years and years, and everyone had tried. And I said, Well, I'm living this beautiful life like maybe some of that energy might rub off on you come and 
come and live with me and like you know you, you've got to put up with what an alcoholic does which is smash holes in walls and you've got to pay to fix them and it wasn't wasn't particularly the nicest experience and you got police knocking on your door and all sorts of things and you know but that's because I had you know I'd forgiven him and and I could see that he'd suffered enough for what he'd done you know yeah and and it didn't serve anyone for me to hate him more like yeah. serve him. I mean it, it's very different finding out that that goodness within me has been taken advantage of and he's then gone on to harm other people so because he'd always said oh it was a mistake and it was an accident and you know I mean I don't know about accident but certainly it was a mistake of a teenage child um but then to to then go on and 15 20 years later be doing the same thing it means that he's got a huge problem so is he is he a lot older than you your brother a few years yeah a few yeah. years but not too many wow yeah it's, it's at that pivotal age like when it happened like there's a big differential between a 12 year old and a 15 year old yeah just that we were um, like he's an adult you see your photo there's a, this photo of us that was sent to police and you sort of yeah you can see the the differential in in terms of size and 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 just he was always quite violent and had this streak that my parent our parents are, are wonderful people um, but then I don't know I guess some people just have something whether it's an illness or some psychological sort of trap or condition where yeah, they're attracted to young children and it's disgusting and it's, yeah, it's certainly the last conversation I think that we'll be comfortable having as as a humanity is that there's, that's the common form of abuse is within families. It's yeah. not walks down an alley and gets raped. That's not, the movies make us think that that's what rape looks like and it's not. Mm. It's not, unfortunately, it's, it's yeah, 40 odd percent are within families and you know yeah i guess I've, I've, i'm tossing up what what to do with that part of my story and whether to try and push further in terms of helping other victims because i know that the few people that i've told this story to like i was in india fascinating story the first time I'd, i i thought okay this trip i'm doing to india nepal bhutan i'm gonna trial telling some people just some random people this story about my brother and just to see is is it too far do I should I put it in the book or not um and so I told this lady who is from Chicago and you know lo and behold she says I could see her reaction was horrendous she was like how have you forgiven him and she had all these questions and I was like wow there's there's something like you know where you can just feel there's something that's really uneasy in her and then a, a few days later and this is we're traveling along the ganges actually um in varanasi you know the the holiest place for hindus on earth and when uh, we we then got to calcutta um we're sitting in in this place and she says i need to probably tell you that i was actually molested by my mother and i was like far out like that's why there's this unease and and yeah and so and then I, I tell one other person I'm in New York and I tell her and she said yeah one of my first boyfriends had raped me and it's just the how common it is 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 shocking and I guess that's what me too sort of showed you know but then you also feel like as a male 
there's this sort of stranger element to it. Like you're not meant to get raped if you're a, if you're a guy. And like I'm quite a masculine, you know, played footy and all this sort of stuff. And um, I'm sure a lot of those guys that that I've been friends with in my life would be very awkward, you know, reading about. It. And I have told some of my close sort of school and footy mates and. Yeah, but it's just very common and like I know I'm not alone in in this. But yeah, so you know, that's that's sort of, you know, what the book's about is it's not about, you know, just oh, I'm the happiest person I can be. It's like, no, well, what did that teach me? It taught me a lot about resilience, taught me mm. a lot about I mean if you know, if I can forgive my brother for raping me over, you know, several months, then can I not forgive you know, my wife for leaving a cup around or can I not forgive my parents for not doing this or someone for not doing that or, you know, the person didn't let me in in the traffic. Like, it doesn't matter. And I think that's sort of the final chapter that's about perspective is around that is like what does matter and what doesn't matter. And I think if we can sort of see that, well, most things don't matter. Like most most things that we're doing, you know, really if we can just chill out and be at peace with, hey, look, there's a few things that we do each day that matter, like cuddle our loved ones or, you know, um, go for a nice walk and enjoy nature. Um, but, you know, lots of these little things, whether or not someone's done the washing up, whether or not someone's put the car back in the right spot, does it matter? You know, can you not just forgive for five seconds and, you know, not spark that argument or that negative energy that's going to come from that. So it's easier said than done. And it's about training your brain, but certainly it's easier to train your brain when you've been through some pretty horrendous circumstances. Wow, exactly. Don't sweat the small stuff. Let it go. Let it go. What did Deepak say? Deepak was one of my first teachers uh, when I started to focus more on spiritual things. And he, you know, he talked about quantum science. And so I could come at God from that perspective. I couldn't come at it from the religious perspective. I'm like, okay, the unified field, I get that. And he says, when you look at matter through a microscope, you see that actually nothing is matter. It's all energy and information. And he said, so if nothing's matter, then nothing matters. <laughs> Oh, great pun on words, you know, but yeah, we make a lot of things matter that don't matter. I'm, you know, classic Libran used to be struggle with decisions. And I found a cheap pair of shoes one day when I was out shopping with my brother and I couldn't decide to get the black ones or the white ones or the black ones. Shall I get both? I don't need both. Shall I get one? Which one? And I'm just in this stupid, like, can't make a decision. And I remember saying, why do I get so frustrated about making a decision? And he said something so wise to me. He said, because you make it more important than it is. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, it hit me like a brick. I did. Like if I get the shoes, don't get the shoes, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. We make stuff matter that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, that's a great example of it, to be honest. That's a really, really good example. You know, what colored shirt do I wear? I was like, oh, <laughs> A yellow might look better. It's a probably happier color and probably looks better against the background. But does it actually matter? You know, like yeah, there's a lot of things that we we sweat these days, as you say. You know, and and it's not to say that it's you're not valid. If you've got something in your life that's really upsetting or frustrating you, and it feel and you you look at it and you go, it is a small thing, but it still has that effect. Like, yes, there is a, a challenge to to maybe get your mind thinking maybe 
a little bit less anxiously about those things. And, and slowly you will feel that anxiety lessen with those things when they come up. But I think that really the, the, the thing is it's okay to feel crap sometimes like that's actually part of life. So one of the stories in, in the book is about um, a, a good friend, Jill Hicks, who had her legs blown off in the London bombings. Whoa. She decided to not take pain medication, even though she gets these horrible pains. And she's like, I want to experience the fullness of life, which means experiencing pain, which means, you know, all the good and the bad. And and I'm certainly of that belief, like happiness doesn't come from you know, happiness and joy are two very different things. And 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 I haven't even used the word happiness. That's why it's called the happiest. Uh-huh. Is because happiness is a word fraught with, I think, some some problems um, at times because people want to say, oh, is happiness just eh, when I do this? Or is, you know, and this book has forced me to actually change a lot in my life because mm-hmm. you can't write a book about happiness and then not live by it because then, I don't know, you're a bit of a... A bit of an asshole, I think. <laughs> no, oh. Bit of an asshole. If you write a book about happiness and you're a miserable cow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, no, look, I'm I'm happy. Look, look, look at me on TV or look at me here or there. So, you know, one of the big decisions for me was around social media. So, you know, there's quite a bit written that talks about, you know, the pretty negative impacts on, on our happiness from social media. And I had a you know, 130,000 followers and most videos go out and, you know, my work reached about 200 odd million people. And I made a decision not to keep engaging in that because it's sort of like that zero sum game of like, you never, it's always more. What do you want? More followers, more views, more this. And um, yeah, there, there came a point where I just thought, well, yeah, that's, that's probably not what I want to spend my time on and certainly have was great for that as well. Don't want to spend your mental space thinking about that. Yeah, I get that because I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, not because I need more followers, but because no. the people that I are showcasing, I would like their stories to be seen, to be heard, to be digested, to be lived, and the the message that they bring. And so, the more the better, right? But then you've got to you've got to come back to the people that will need to hear this message will find it 100%. they will find it you know and whether that's two people or two hundred thousand, doesn't matter but the people who need to hear this message at the time the message goes out will find it and i just like you gotta you gotta go there right was my thing i i was more really upset at facebook putting in a paywall so the right. people the people that have subscribed and that want to see my stuff something to pay mm-hmm. to pay to reach them and that just yeah i was sort of out as as partly as a you know well, it's to facebook but uh yeah i was well, very i had this brilliant guy on the show um i uh, just looking at the time i had this brilliant guy on the show adam apollo who's creating a uh the next level social media everything platform called core nexus and he's just releasing the beta it'll probably be up next year it'll be a place where people can uh get groups together to action things and fundraising it's kind of like all the best things of the web put into one place so he explained it to me and i kind of get it and i don't get it 
but it's um you know how when you have an audio podcast and it's happening now with video you have an rss stream and then it'll bring in all your information and put it in one place so that will kind of be the technology behind it so all your social media will you know be able to go but it'll also be a place where um he really wants to use it to sort of action good i suppose where people can raise money and then use that money to sort of do good in the world so i'm excited about that maybe you you can jump on that but it'll also be a social media platform where you can speak to followers and not have a paywall like you say like the yeah for for many things like it's allowed me to keep in touch with you know the the Maasai village that I visited or you know some people like um from a school that was near the the photo behind you and it's amazing what it's allowed us to do but like anything it can be used for good or for bad you know addiction is a problem no matter what we become addicted to um there's people that become addicted to watering their lawn and having that perfect and spend five hours a day. And then they're not spending that five hours with family or with other things. Um, you know, so any, anything that we do too much of is a problem. It's just that the actual nature of social media and the nature of, you know, gaming and these sorts of things sends us, you know, these chemicals to our brain, which is like snorting a line of cocaine. And so why do people become addicted? Well, cause it's literally the exact same chemicals go to our brain as cocaine. Right. So um that's why it feels good when you're you know scrolling or when you're playing these games and um why why there's such a high addiction rate and people are it's just that that's not reality right you know people sort of get this confusion where yeah it's uh there 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 are two realities running in parallel at times these days and yeah look dying one you are just one of my favorite people on earth when i listen to your story about your brother and forgiveness I feel like, you know, you're going through a court case. I feel like everyone that you touch with that story of forgiveness, regardless if he's if he's incarcerated more or charged with your rape, I just having that energy and speaking that truth to the court, to the policeman, to the pe- the jailers is such a powerful, it's such a powerful message to walk your talk like that, that like, yes, he did that to me, but I've completely, feel, I just, that's just so powerful. Like that's, that's bringing heaven to earth. That's spreading the love. That's spreading the happiness. Because it is that resentment. You know, I've watched my mother kill herself with her hatred and resentment that um, she was already unhappy. So dad left her for a prettier, younger model. And when that happened, that unhappiness just exaggerated and it took five years for her to hate herself to death and hate him and hate her. And, you know, on her deathbed, you know, they get together and have a conversation about you. And just, just this re- unforgiveness and resentment, it just kills us. It makes us sick. So, yeah, this forgiveness thing is a powerful message. And um, any last messages you'd like to leave our audience before we say goodbye? For me, and I define this pretty early on, I, I hope, for people, like the happiest state that you can be in is just basically to be at peace with yourself. And whether that's in life or or as you're dying, like to have peace, that that's your happiest state. So, you know, I, I define happiness or the happiest state that I could live in is one where I wouldn't change anything in my life. Mm. And I'm pretty well in that state. And, you know, like I would love for society to, for people to be happier. And that's why I guess I'm doing what I'm doing, but certainly me and my little life I've got here, I would love for there to be more equality in the world and and things external to me to change. But within my life, there's very little I would change. And so I think, you know, um, this is what the book looks like. It's available on Kindle or or soft or hardcover, thehappiest.com. 
yeah, you know, we've had some f- feedback since we sort of did a little soft launch and it's been pretty beautiful hearing what people have to say about the the book and the impact that it's having on them. So, yeah. And just thanks to yourself and to everyone that has been part of, you know, the, the journey of writing this book and, and sort of bringing the stories to, to the world. Cause there's, yeah, there's so many beautiful stories and really tricky stories as well, but that will have some sort of meaning hopefully for, for readers. So yeah, thank you so much. And, certainly we'll be in touch i'm sure as as we continue to to move forward in our our journey so can't wait to see what you get up to next thank you so much for sharing with us again on the show mike thanks so much see ya just love that man just love what he's doing in the world such an extraordinary young being on the planet yeah as as usual we had lots of chats before the recording and after the recording and uh, talked about many things. I got to meet Ciala, the baby, and, of course, Sasha came on camera and we got to say hello and everything. It was so cute, so cute. But, yeah, just like I said to him, I look forward to see what else he gets up to, uh, you know, in the future, what else he does. But, wow, I um I didn't get to that chapter on forgiveness in the book, so I actually found out about all that rape and forgiveness thing along with you guys, which was uh, pretty deep, pretty shocking, pretty deep. Yeah. Yeah. He revealed, revealed a bit more. He revealed a bit more to me about it when we were off camera, which was even more shocking and deep, but uh, we live in a, we live in a very interesting world, don't we? Very interesting world. Uh, But I shared with him, you know, he's a little bit more mainstream than most of the people I have on the show. I shared with him an exercise I do about surrounding people in gold light and seeing their soul and not the personality or the mind that the soul or the consciousness of the soul is inhabiting. And uh, he kind of looked at me. <laughs> I don't think he's, I don't know, I don't think he's up for that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've thought about this deeply with all those movies coming out exposing all those sex crimes on the in the world, you know, what, what creates the consciousness, the 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 thoughts that makes people want to do that? Just anyway, we have to see the soul and not the deed. Uh, this is what I believe it affects healing in the world. I remember hearing when I was young and doing energy healing courses that Jesus, when he looked upon you, he didn't see you dripping with your disease, your mental disease, your physical disease. He saw your soul, which is an extension of the source, which is rooted in pure positive energy, that part of you that is love and unity. And as he gazed at you with that knowing of who you are, not your problems, not your disease, he affected instant healing, like the miracle healings that we hear about. So... I attempt to do that when I hear about these stories. I don't always succeed, I have to say, especially when it's confronting you personally. Not always easy, but it's the challenge we're given in electing to come into this physical three-dimensional environment as the light workers, as the difference makers, the light weavers, weaving a new matrix, creating a new way of living here on planet Earth. Stories are what makes the world go round, and uh, Mike has plenty of them. I was just telling him that last night we were at the Australian Women's Adventure Film Festival, 
and my daughter is in a documentary called Extreme Minds about people that do extreme sport and they talk about how it affects them mentally and why they do it and to overcome, you know, mental challenges. It's very much rooted in mental health. Uh, and her story is one of them deep diving and being confronted with a shark uh, that uh, tried to take her leg off and had a bit of a nip into, you know, bite, bit her ankle and what she's been through. And she just was so proud. You know, she said, it's only seven, seven minutes. Uh, the film festival was a few hours long because it showcased many, many people. The first woman was, um, what do they call them when they have the ribbons that fall and they do that acrobatics? And then she was doing it from a balloon. She was doing these acrobatics above the clouds. I mean, whoa. And then she like let go. She's obviously got a parachute on, parachutes to earth. I mean, <laughs> that was just the first image. And there were women that, there was one woman that had uh, travelled uh, hiking of mountains across the planet in different parts of the world solo with just a backpack on and surviving whoa that was amazing yeah it was a fabulous film festival it's so inspiring seeing the stories and what people do what people do well that was when I say people it was women predominantly women but the movie Extreme Minds is not just about women I think it's six people men and women and some of the things that they do these extreme sports one woman tight ropes over canyons that drop for thousands of meters and she tight ropes you know these extreme things yeah so that's coming out soon that will be exciting i will let you all know if you follow me on any of the social media platforms facey is the one that you know is the predominant one i use these days even though i joined all the others still i still use facey uh or, or get on my mailing list and i'll send it out i do um I'm not very good with the mailing list. I'm more a poster on social media, but I'll let you know when it comes out. But the, um, yeah, the festival last night was really extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary what people do. One of the women, interestingly enough, was a daughter of someone I've had on the show a couple of times, Janine, what's her name, Janine? Oh, that's it, Janine Shepherd who has one of the most extraordinary stories about being an Olympic cyclist. And then she was hit by a car and smashed into a million pieces. And obviously she couldn't go to the Olympics. And then she learned to fly a plane in a full body cast. And I think they made a couple of movies about her called Never Say Never. Anyway, and her daughter had been through equally horrendous experiences going to the Olympics as a skier. And then things happened to her. But it was interesting that the filmmaker had showcased athletes, elite athletes, that didn't win the gold medal at the Olympics, you know, and their story leading up to it. And it's fascinating to hear those stories too, what it takes to be an elite athlete and all the injuries you go through and, and the mental agility and the mental capacity you need in order to do these things. Yeah, it's really showcasing the mind. You know, the mind is overarching everything that we do in life. And like we believe we can or we believe we can't. And when we can't, how do we overcome those circumstances? How do we come back? There was one athlete, she was got to be about six foot two. She was a, a volleyballer, softballer, netballer. Anyway, very tall woman. She spoke on stage. She was doing really well and when everything sort of fell apart the media crucified her you know the Australian media I mean how do you deal with that like you put your heart and soul into something and lead a team and then the media crucify you if you don't win the gold medal oh, anyway it's such a crazy world we live in but dealing with this world really takes some 
mental agility, doesn't it? We have to really remember who we are as infinite beings connected to a source of pure, positive, unconditional love, pure, positive energy. It's always available to us regardless of what is happening to us in this crazy old world. Anyway, Alan Steinfeld said he was going to come into the inner sanctum. Hope he can. He's in he's in Egypt at the moment, I think, leading a group with a few people. So that's next month. Did you catch Don Hudnall? Oh, my God. He was extraordinary last weekend in the inner sanctum. If you didn't, go and watch the, go and watch the replay. Just extraordinary. Love Don. Oh, my God. He's an extraordinary being on this planet, I tell you. Loved him. So there's a few fabulous other people coming up in the next couple of months leading up to the end of the year, still in the inner sanctum. We meet once a month with a guest teacher and once a month with me and the group. And I'd love to hear your stories of how you find happiness in the darkest of times, how you can return to love. I'd love to hear how you do that. It's in sharing our stories that changes the world. This is why after 25 years of showcasing people, I'm still doing it. And even though it's not a paid gig, I just love people and I love hearing their stories. And Mike is somebody that's doing the same, sharing people's stories and his own story, obviously. So thanks again for listening and watching and remember to check out the book Awakened by Death, another book filled with amazing stories of people overcoming, yeah, awakened by death. They're awakening to their knowing of who they are as the ability to choose a positive thought over a negative thought, the ability to be multidimensional, to expand their psychic awareness, to do good in the world. There are many stories in the book of these people having the death experience, like um, one woman whose son was shot in the Sandy Hook, you know, is changing the world with her programs putting into schools. And yeah, it's amazing what we can do when stretched, when we really need to know what we're made of. So I'll see you all again next time. Thanks again for listening and watching and bye for now.